Today on CityCast Denver. On the one hand, the Olympics are a flat-out calamity. A twisted hulk of capitalism, ego, and obsession. Wreaking havoc on any city they touch. But on the other hand... People remember where they were when the U.S. hockey team won the gold medal. People remember the way they felt when the 4x100 relay won in Beijing. People remember those things. So the movement, yes, the, the, the dynamics behind it, but the, what actually is the front piece, I think many people still appreciate and want to watch. Today is Friday, July 23rd, 2021. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. The opening ceremony of the Tokyo Olympics is on tonight, and I wish I was more excited. As a kid, I remember watching the games with my family every two years. My dad would make a big stink about the opening ceremony and the torch lighting. My mom would daydream about vacationing to the host city. My brother and I even named our family Dog after the winner of the 100-meter dash in Atlanta. But I grew up, and I watched Michael Phelps do bong rips on the internet. And I read about the sex pest terrorizing our greatest gymnasts. And I saw communities in London get torn apart when they hosted the games in 2012. It's turned into this ugly, garish, and overly commercial TV spectacle. And now in Tokyo, it's worse than ever. No crowds, no support from the Japanese public, no fun. Here in Denver, we were ahead of the curve when it comes to the recent Olympics backlash. In 1970, the International Olympic Committee actually picked Denver to host the 76 Winter Games. But thanks to an ambitious young accountant who would go on to become governor, the people of Denver rallied to say no. It was a crucial turning point for the Games and for Denver. So as we settle in for 17 days of sport and cognitive dissonance broadcast live from the other side of the world, I thought, what better way to mark the occasion than to revisit Denver's bizarre relationship with the games with the two people at the center of the story. On Monday, you'll hear my conversation with former accountant slash governor Dick Lamb. And today, my guest is someone who, like me, still wants to find a way to love the games. You need me to put these on, I'm guessing? Uh, I think that will help. Not everybody likes that, but some, most people do. It doesn't bother me. Whatever works best for you. As CEO and chairman of the IMA Financial Group, Robert Cohen is one of those people whose decisions carry a lot of weight downtown. But he also moonlights as a major Olympics booster. He was recently appointed to a congressional commission to reevaluate how the whole U.S. Olympics program operates. And he was the driving force behind the most recent, highly controversial effort a few years ago to bring the Winter Games to Denver. I met up with Robert earlier this week in his office overlooking Union Station to gawk at his collection of Olympics memorabilia. He has torches, medals, and tons of documents from the 76 bid. But also, we talked about how he still holds out hope that Denver can someday lead the Olympics forward in a new, less embarrassing direction. You've been involved in this for so long. 
Tell me about the first moment where you knew you were going to dedicate so much of your life to trying to bring the Olympics to Denver. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people think that you get involved with the Olympic Games or you're motivated to bring the Olympic Games either for your love of sport or for the love of the economic impact that you think it, it could have. And, and for me, those are the things that started the journey. But the moment that I knew that there was something special about this was when I went back and read the Olympic Charter all the way back to 1896. It was written by Pierre de Coubertin. And when you read it, it's kind of like this timeless document that that reads, you know, I hate to compare it to the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution of the United States, but, you know, it's this timeless docu document that talks about clean sport, you know, which we now call anti-doping. It talks about fair play, which is men and women competing equally. I think people, 1896, that was not a concept that people talked about. It talked about anti-discrimination and and that regardless of your race, religion, sexual orientation came later, but um, regardless of those things, you know, that people could compete on, on the field of play. And it was about uh, a peace movement, anti-truce, so laying down arms is the way they referred to it, to compete in the Olympic Games. And I started to realize that these values are timeless, um, and they're maybe needed more now in the world that we live in today than maybe they were in 1896. And because we're still struggling with the Black Lives Movement, with the Me Too Movement, all these issues are still relevant, and that this is an opportunity um, you know, to potentially take that to a different level. And so that, when I started to match my love of sports, my love of Denver, and what I think this could mean, but then maybe the, the value alignment, that's when I really became passionate about what this could mean for our community. Hmm. Hmm. I, um, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that most people who think about the Olympics these days don't understand what that original mission was. I think that's been totally lost. It gets lost because of the bureaucracy and the scandals and, and um, the losses that cities have, have put up and just, you know, a big part of, of what people see about the Olympic movement today is about greed and money and, and some of that stuff. And so they've lost, they've lost the values of why this is important. Yeah. Yeah. These really are dark times for the Olympic games. I mean, I don't know if it's ever been as unpopular as it is maybe even like today. Yeah. Well, the, the, the concept is unpopular, but the games are still popular. And I think we'll see that over the next couple of weeks as even though Tokyo is not going to have fans, it's going to be a very different game. I still think you'll see Americans tune in. Um, so you mentioned earlier that uh, you were most closely involved in the bid, the most recent bid, the one that sort of started in 2014-ish and went, ended in 2018. Yeah. So what was your approach? As far as um, the, the bid itself? Yeah, like what was the thesis of the bid? Like you obviously recognize that the games are increasingly unpopular. They have all these negative effects that have been recognized. Yeah. Like I, I often say that, um, you know, the people who are anti-Olympic and the people who were pro-Olympic actually saw the same thing about the Olympic Games. We, we identified the same issues and the same problems. We just went about it differently in terms of the way that we wanted to attack it. One group decided that they're bad and we shouldn't host the games and we should vote against them, et cetera. And, you know, our approach was always, um, how do we put a bid together that works for the Olympic movement, but also works truly for Denver, authentically who we are. 
And if it couldn't be done in a unique way without building permanent venues that become these white elephants in the community, if it, if it couldn't be done in a way that, you know, leads to the values of our community and why people live here, then let's do the study. And if at the end of that we can't do those things, then we'll walk away. But if we can do those things, then why not? Um, and, uh, and maybe we can show the world a better way of doing the Olympic Games um, that truly could make a difference for generations to come. Hmm. I, I love that. I love that because, you know, when I think about Denver's history with the Games, I mean, the rejection in 72 was such a formative moment for how I think so many people here think about not only the Games, but who we are you know, saying no to the prospect of all these budget overruns. So you were really going against like a really formative moment for our state, for our community, by trying to make this argument. I, I wouldn't say we were going against it. I, I would say we were leaning into it. Hmm. Um, and, uh, um, and, and this is what I tell people. In, in the 1970s, when Denver made the decision that they did around the Olympic Games, I wasn't here, so I can't really weigh in on all the issues, but I'm not sure they made the wrong decision. Um, the games were financed very differently. They were f financed by public entities. Um, they were not environmentally um, conscious. They were not sustainable. But if we do them in this uniquely Denver way, in this uniquely Colorado way, then they can be these legacy events that are great. I think a lot of people worried about the Democratic National Convention, but I think most people afterwards would say, wow, that was really a special time in Denver. And we showcased our city. And yes, it was an economic impact. And these events always have pros and cons to them, but um, I think if you lean into that and you really try to understand that and you know who you are, then you don't have to um, sacrifice. Mm. So tell me, give me, a, give me an example of a way that you all, your group was going to make this a uniquely Denver Games or that you wanted to. First thing for us was if we could not finance the Games privately, then we didn't think we should do it. We did not think that um, we should use uh, any of the community's assets. Now, when you say that, um, even when you host a Super Bowl or a Final Four or whatever, yes, you're going you're gonna to use um, taxpayer assets, right? You're going to use the roads. You're going to use the airport. You're going to use police and fire and, and, and security. But that's fundamentally different than saying they're going to actually fund the cost of the games. Um, and so you have to be able to answer that, that question. We got creative with, with venues. We said, hey, right now the way the Olympics are done is one city bids on it and they're supposed to have all the assets. We, we said, if you look at the World Cup soccer bid, what happens is a country bids on it and then multiple cities host it. So why could we not partner with a Salt Lake or a Lake Placid or others to do certain events that wouldn't require us um, to build venues that maybe they already have. Um, and the list goes on and on and on as to creative ideas. You know, if you get outside the box of the way the games have already been done and you start thinking about how can we do it um, and how can we do it in a different way, then it becomes a whole different discussion. So let's talk about that, that like unique relationship that Colorado and especially Denver has with the Olympics. Why does it strike a nerve? Um, well, I think, you know, there's that old saying, right? If you call place paradise, kiss a goodbye. And so I think most of us moved here from somewhere else. And this is the place we've chosen to live, right? And to work and to spend our life. And a lot of people, most of us have come here because of the quality of the life um, that we have here. And I think people are worried about the quality of life going away. 
Um, and what I try to say to people is, this is, this is not going to impact the quality of our life. This is a 17-day event. And, and when it's over, it goes away. And the big issues like I-70 and water and all the, you know, growth and all those things, we have to deal with every day. And they're not correlated to the Olympic Games. Anyway, I think those things get commingled and people are worried about paradise going away and protecting the quality of life, et cetera. And then, therefore, it becomes this big emotional issue. And by the way, the Olympic Games haven't made it easy. It's, it's easy to jump on the back and say how bad they are. Yeah. So in the U.S. Olympic Committee in 2018, I think it was late in the year, when they picked Salt Lake City's bid over Denver's, how did that feel? Tell me, take me to that moment. Um, well, I mean, I tell people this, and the, and I think they're stunned by this. First and foremost, I care about the Olympic Games and the mission, and I wanted them to come back to the United States. I, I, I still, you know, the values are the same, and so I want them to come back to the United States. Obviously, we had a team of people who worked really hard, who competed really hard, um, and we wanted we wanted to win like like everybody else that that's been in that game. But you know, it's no different than sports in life, right? You you go out, you play the game as hard as you can, you compete at the highest level. When the game's over, you meet at the middle of the field, you shake hands, you congratulate the opponent, and and you move on. And uh, and as I've said, Denver's bid five plus times on the Olympic Games. This is just a cycle and part of the history and. Hopefully it will come back up in the future. And who knows, maybe there's an opportunity to partner with Salt Lake because um, I think we've got venues that they don't have. And I still believe the winning bid from the United States would be a multi-city bid um, where you don't have the economic cost burden on any one city or one uh, organizing committee where you're using the assets that already exist. And if you start thinking about it, we've got tremendous assets. They have tremendous assets. You put that together, that's a winning bid. So are, are you working on a new bid in some capacity? I'm not currently working on a new bid, but I think it's it's one of those things that it, it's not tied to a certain year or certain games. It's It's tied to, you know, I believe Denver and our mountains and our mountain communities lays out better for a Winter Olympics than almost any city in the world. Um, and um, just the natural creation of the 16th Street Mall to be a pedestrian mall where the world can come together and gather. If you think about Vancouver, they had to create that out of a street that they closed um, for 17 days. And, you know, everybody remembers the image of the whole world ga gathering on you know, on that particular street and, and celebrating for, for 17 days. We, we have one naturally. It's who we are. We have a 16th Street Mall. And you could put live venue sites on either end, one in Civic Center Park where people could come watch. Um, you know, in London, they had to build a park to create that. We already have that naturally in, in who we are. And so um, there's just this aspect of how compact our city is around the venues in the city. And then the proximity to the mountains and, and, you know, we've all been to the mountain towns. They have that same proximity and feel. So it would be magical. Robert Cohen, thanks so much for, uh, for joining me on CityCast Denver. No, thanks for having me. And I appreciate the, the, you know, spending the time talking about the topic because it's, it's something that matters.
That was Robert Cohen on his dormant but still very much alive quest to bring the Olympics to Denver. And on Monday, I'm going to talk to his chief rival, Dick Lamb, the former governor who led the campaign to stop Robert from achieving his dream back in 2017 and 2018. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Natalie Rivera, Lizzie Goldsmith, and Xandra McMahon. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. We'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. Until then, I hope you have a great weekend. Do you hear that? That's the sound of a hundred bucks. And it could be yours if you fill out our listener survey. There's a link in the show notes. You know what to do.